The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website or in the show notes. This is Ivarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. I have a great appreciation for landscape photography, especially when I'm out enjoying the outdoors and have no clue as to how to photograph a scene. My attempts pale in comparison to the works I've seen of other photographers, both professional and amateur, who take the richness of nature and translate that into a photograph that, well, that just sings. They take God's handiwork and they make something remarkable with it. I first saw Gary Wagner's work during a trip to Sacramento, and I was genuinely impressed by both his artistry and his technical skills. It's not an easy thing to marry the two. And on top of all that, you're competing in a genre that has no shortage of practitioners. But Gary's work really speaks for itself. So when he contacted me to let me know that he was writing a book, sharing his experience and knowledge, I wanted to help in any way I could to help spread the word. Digital Black and White Landscape Photography, Fine Art Techniques from Camera to Print is a book in which Gary shares his thought process for handling landscape scenes from capture to the final print. It's not a step-by-step guide as to how he does it, but rather it provides a sense of how he sees a photograph first behind the camera, then on his computer screen, and finally in the print. He's been making a living as a commercial portrait photographer for decades, but he's also pursued his passion for landscape photography, and the results are really beautiful. It's always a pleasure to sit down with someone for whom the love of what they do has not diminished. They are still as in love with what they do as they were when they first began the journey. Thanks for sending me a copy of the book. It looks really beautiful. Oh, good. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You're all happy with the result? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with it. It, uh, it was a... Uh, interesting project and um, worked out really well yeah i appreciate your uh, comment on the back that was that uh, was excellent oh and- my pleasure my pleasure <laughs> first off i'd like to get started with uh your beginnings you you grew up in kokomo indiana i did and what, what was it like what was kokomo like for you growing up uh kokomo is a uh, small midwestern town somewhat um somewhat industrial and uh, about 50,000 people. It was a uh, certainly rural in feeling. I was actually from Chicago prior to that, um, came there when I was in mid-grade school, and it was a, a complete change in environment from, from living in the city of Chicago to moving to uh, uh, the middle of the uh, uh, corn and wheat belt in Indiana there. Was your family part of the uh, the auto industry there? Is that why yes, you moved they there? Were. They were. Um, my father worked for uh, General Motors, and uh, the plant that they were in in Chicago closed, and we was transferred to uh, Indiana, and uh, we all went with. And it was, uh, um, but it worked out fine. You know, I I enjoyed being there, and it was a, a good place to grow up, actually. When you started practicing photography in high school, was it a completely sort of creative outlet for you or was it part and parcel of just 
being able to have something to do while you were in high school. Some people like are into sports or into choir or stuff like that. It was was photography a, a sort of an outlet? Uh, no, I would say I immediately uh, was attracted to photography as a uh, um, as a, something to do, but as a potential career uh, move for me. I uh, I. Uh, within a year after I started uh, doing photography in high school, I started working in a camera store and, uh, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed everything that I did with photography. I was on the newspaper. Um, a friend of mine, uh, we, we did uh, some portraits and commercial work, you know, uh, uh, for two high schoolers and uh, just had a lot of fun with it and completely enjoyed the, the experience of it. But what was it about? photography that completely sold you on the idea of making a, a career out of it because a lot of people pick up a camera during during that time of life and but never really think about making a living from it you you did however what what cemented that for you uh you know i i certainly always uh, like the uh the excitement of of going out and taking photos and i felt it was something that i could do and be successful at uh, I enjoyed the creative aspect of being able to uh, take pictures, make them, show people my images. Uh, I, I did, uh, even at that time, I did photos of uh, cornfields in Indiana and pictures of uh, farm animals and just felt like I wanted to photograph everything that was out there and completely experience and, and do everything with it. Did, did your family and people around you really think that this was like a, a viable career choice or, were they, or did, you, did you feel like part of them was like, Oh yeah, let him do this for a while, but then he'll get serious and get some real work. Uh, you know, that's absolutely the way it was. My, my parents were mm, not very supportive of my thoughts that I wanted to be a photographer. I uh, actually, after high school went on to uh, Indiana university down in, in uh, Southern uh, Indiana, and I uh, was majoring in business there, and it was while I was there that I, uh, uh, after two years, that I made the complete decision to uh, change from from business to uh, photography. I was still doing, I was working on the uh, newspaper at Indiana University at the time as a photographer also. I spoke with a uh, professor there who was in the art department and uh, about my interest and uh, thoughts relating to photography and whether he thought I should, uh, whether I should take um, classes at Indiana in, in uh, journalism or in art or to pursue my career in some other uh, fashion. Uh, he actually was the one who recommended that I go to Brooks out in California or to Rochester uh, RIT in uh, New York as a better choice for a career for me. And so at the time of thinking, uh, it, it seemed like if I could get my parents to support this, and uh, I was certainly up for moving to California. And uh, that's what I did. Was it a difficult conversation to have with your parents? It was, but I, but they knew that I was, mm, that I was interested in changing um, my career career choices and moving in the direction of photography. And so I think it, it might have been expected. I think they would have preferred that I stayed at Indiana and finished my degree there and uh, before doing this. But 
that was the choice that I made at that time, and they supported it. So Santa Barbara, California is very different from Kokomo. It is, absolutely. Uh, it was paradise. Was it? Was it just, so tell me about that, that. those initial experiences about being there. I mean, yeah, you're getting to study photography at one of the most premier institutions in, in the country for photography, but tell me about the experience of just the sort of the, the, the culture shock that you experienced coming from the Midwest to, to the West Coast. It was a complete culture shock. I found uh, Santa Barbara to be absolutely a, a fabulously beautiful city and uh, the location overlooking the ocean there. I remember my friend and I, when we first arrived there and driving up State Street and just looking at the buildings and the flowers and all of the, uh, uh, I hate to say, beautiful people that were there at the time, <laughs> but certainly it was a far cry from downtown Kokomo, Indiana. And... Um, it was actually some of the best years of my life were living in Santa Barbara and going to school there. A friend of mine uh, from a high school who was also going to Indiana back in Kokomo, he, uh, he then decided he was going to become a photographer also and joined me a few months later. And we spent our entire uh, high school or uh, uh, Brooks career uh, rooming together and completing school together. You know, as far as photography, I mean, Santa Barbara is, is is one of the great locations to be learning photography because not only is the, the town and the immediate community interesting, but you have access to so much. Uh, you know, you can get into to the ocean, you can get into the, the woods, you get pretty good access to, you know, to the desert. I mean, virtually every kind of ecosystem is is available to you to, to enjoy and to photograph. Tell me about that kind of discovery as, as compared to what you had, you know, experienced in, in the Midwest. Was that was that the time where you found yourself falling in love with photographing nature in the landscape? I I would I would say it was a continuation of that time because I really did enjoy photographing uh, and did nature in the landscape back in Indiana as well. But when I came out to uh uh, to California and went to Brooks. I did, you know, ocean. I did ocean scenes. I did mountains. Uh, went up to uh, was able to go up to uh, to Death Valley or up to Yosemite, and um, went both of these places several times, taking photos there. At the time, I was photographing uh, most of my scenics in four by five chromes at the time, but I certainly was also. Uh, uh, doing black and white, not only for school, but in uh, in my own work as well at, at that time. Uh, I don't know how Brooks was. But when you, did you go to Brooks during the 80s? Is that oh, it was the 70s. 70s? Yes. Um, I don't know how it was then as compared to now, but um, was the school during the time you were going there more commercially oriented or was it uh, open to sort of more of a, a, a fine art aesthetic? No, it was more commercially oriented. So how did you sort of balance that out in terms of the education you were getting in terms of the, your commercial about making actual living as a photographer, doing work for, you know, for businesses and so on, and your own sort of personal draw to the nature and, and the landscape? Uh, at that time, I uh, was majoring in portrait and commercial work. I felt that this was a uh, career that I could be successful at and uh, um, enjoy doing that. I, in my spare time, time when I wasn't working on, on uh, schoolwork, I was always out uh, taking pictures of uh, 
um, nature and the landscape uh, all over that area. You know, when you're you have to set your priorities in individual segments of your life to determine what's most important at the time. And what was most important at that time was was gaining uh, as much experience and knowledge as I could about professional photography in order to be successful to make it into a career and had to move forward with that. So when you when you graduated, tell me about that whole transition of you know leaving school and going out there and going okay now I got to go out there and I got to make it as a as a photographer I gotta I gotta prove my parents wrong. Yeah, so I um I was fortunate when I when I graduated that I did have several uh, job opportunities. I did go to uh, work in Los Angeles for a very prominent uh, portrait photographer at the time, Phil Cheris, who had uh, oh, yeah. studios in the Bullock stores. And I worked there for several years as one of his uh, two or three photographers that he had, uh, that he employed. And it was a tremendous learning experience for me in order to, uh, to see his style of portraiture, to uh, be able to now essentially intern, you know, with one of the uh, best and most prestigious studios really in the country at the time. And uh, I felt that it was just a continuation of my education when I did that uh, and really enjoyed working for him at that time. Yeah, he's a, he's a known name down here. I mean, his, his, uh, his studio, uh, they had one on a lake in Pasadena. Yes. That I'll go by for, yes. for years. What did you feel like you learned from the experience with him that you could never have learned having been in school? A real life experience. I was actually in the uh, camera room with him while he took po- while he uh, posed his portraits um, to see how he posed them, how the lighting was comp- done, how and when he pushed that button in order to take the uh, uh, to take those photos and. At that time, I was also very interested in how he sold uh, people on his portraits as well in order to be successful commercially doing that. And I was fortunate to be able to uh, listen and learn those techniques also. You know, one of the challenges that I think a lot of professional photographers have, or even people who have, you know, quote unquote, normal jobs, is finding the time to follow their their passion. Um, in your case, you're, you're working and making a living as a commercial portrait photographer, but your love was also the landscape. So was it a real challenge for you for, for, for a while to be able to find the time to dedicate to this photography, or was that something that had to be del- delayed until later? It, it, it then became um, certainly a, a hobby or a secondary activity that I did. Many times, I I actually lived in Pasadena and got married shortly after that. Um, My wife and I made many trips up to Yosemite uh, while I was living down in uh, Los Angeles area there and uh, love going out taking uh, photos of the landscape. Almost all vacations that we ever took were, were to national parks or to scenic locations where I brought my camera and was out in the mornings taking, uh, uh, taking black and white and color images of the, uh, of the landscape. And so even though I was working professionally, my love of, of uh of taking photos clearly extended into um, uh, 
uh, into taking pictures of nature and the landscape also. So your, your book is about uh, digital black and white landscape photography. And as you said, you used to, when you were at Brooks, you were using like eight by tens, large format, shooting Chrome. Um, and I assume that black and white, traditional black and white was the, the means by which you created your images early on as digital started coming into, into the fore. Um, were you resistant about embracing digital or did you just readily see it as, as the next phase and, and, and dive, you know, headfirst into it? Well, as many have said, you know, who would have ever believed that digital would have so quickly taken over the entire photographic industry? Having worked in the photo industry uh, for the past 25 years, I worked in, in, uh, in a professional manufacturing facility where we did photography. You know, we spent the past, we spent almost 15 years making the transition from film to digital in order to be able to uh, successfully produce portraits. I watched it and uh, its evolution over that time period. And I never would have thought that that film would have gone away and digital would have just completely taken over it. Initially, when this happened, uh, when the digital transition started, I I was uh, because I was doing eight by ten black and white photography, and quality was a significant uh, part of the images that I made. I never would have anticipated that the digital image would have matched or even come close to the quality that I was, that I was looking for in, uh, in my work. But I, but it did, you know, I, um, I changed from film to a digital in 2006 and spent, uh, and have spent the past, uh, nine years and still, still work on, uh, that my education daily in order to, uh, be able to, make the best quality um, black and white digital images that I possibly can. I have tried to read and study every technique that's, uh, that's available there, and that's really been a goal of mine. And it's really, um, you know, the, the book itself is about how I make black and white digital images. What was the first digital camera that you felt like, okay, this, this thing can really give me the quality that I need to pursue my vision for, for my photography? Well, back in 2006, I bought a little uh, Canon uh, Digital uh, Rebel just to try it out and to learn the techniques and, and to become more familiar with Photoshop and how it worked. That camera was, did not possess the quality necessary in order to make the images that I wanted, but I did make thousands of five by seven and eight by 10 prints from it and certainly learned, learned those techniques for the first couple of years. In 2009, late in eight and nine, I bought a, a Canon 5D2 and the quality was, uh, was sensational. You know, that was a, uh, that was an excellent camera. It was a 21 megapixel camera. And I thought it, uh, um, that I was suddenly able to make 16 by 20 prints from my digital files in black and white that were mm, 
maybe not the same as the 8 by 10 16 by 20s that I made, but certainly were were very nice looking prints of excellent quality, had beautiful tones. And, you know, part of that was also was also the um, continuous improvement of digital printing. I have always uh, I have been making all of my uh, prints uh, with Epson printers uh, and uh, felt like the suddenly we now had prints that that could that could rival prints that I made in silver. Not exactly the same but certainly very, very attractive. So was it primarily the megapixel count that was really the, the big arbiter for you in terms of being able to make that transition? Or were there other things that you were, were considering with respect to the cameras themselves that, that played an important role in you being able to use digital to create the, the kinds of images that you wanted? I think it's I think it's a complete package. You know, the camera... Um, the functions on the camera are that I use are are very minimal. You know, by having taking most of my photos with a view camera, uh, you know, there's really nothing more than a lens and a shutter there and a piece of film. That's all I really needed in a camera as well. Um, 35 millimeter digital cameras, if you've ever looked at the menus and settings on them, must have a thousand different things and possibilities mm-hmm. that you can do with these cameras. But I, I don't use many of them. I shoot all of my images in raw. I point in raw, I point the camera, I, uh, you know, set the exposure on it and, and I take these images with it, uh, almost all of them on a tripod. But it was the camera, it was the megapixels of the camera so that I could get the best quality image uh, without having a pixelated looking image. It was the uh, it was Photoshop and other software programs that made this uh, that were able to take and change those images from color to black and white successfully. And it was printers that were able to produce uh, that neutral toned images in black and white of that contained uh, highlight and shadow detail and beautiful tonal range in there. So I can't really say that it was just one thing. It was all of those pieces together that were that that were able to come together in order to make it so that I was able to successfully transition from film to digital and produce artwork that I felt was uh, comparable or if not better to prints that I made in silver. Let's talk about the importance of, of the raw file. Uh, I really appreciate your extensive experience and knowledge of working with in traditional darkroom. Um, I think that's so invaluable to have, and it's something that a lot of people don't have the, the benefit of. But knowing how chemistry, temperature um, affects your negative, and then how you know that translates into what you're doing with with the print. There's such a sort of a systematic approach and a way of looking at that whole process in order to achieve that that final print, uh, which is an art in and of itself. But with the raw file, you have a completely different way of being able to approach it, manipulate it, enhance it. Talk to me about that sort of uh, how you how you see. The, that raw file when we compare it to 
the more traditional methods that, that existed before of massaging these materials, basically, that we're using to create a, a photograph? Uh, the, the raw file, to me, contains, uh, is, is really very similar to the negative, and it contains all of the detail from the, from the darkest shadow to the brightest highlights there in this, in this, in this one file. I uh, not only did, when, in my black and white work, I not only did uh, zone system work, I also did sensitometry with uh, Beyond the Zone System and Phil Davis's methods of, of uh, tracking and charting and computer charting uh, negatives and development. And this was really a big part of my black and white work was, was my extensive testing and knowledge relating to how sensitometry and how chemicals and how film respond at different time and temperature. I, I really feel that it has been an advantage to me in making black and white digital prints because I now can, I'm able to take this background knowledge of, of tones and process and utilize that in order to make my black and white digital images as well. That raw file is just an unaltered negative, and it really contains those tones that, are, that enable me to, to utilize them in order to produce that full range black and white digital print. And uh, uh, I think that that's very important. Certainly, you know, JPEG files, can I make black and white images from them? Oh, sure, I can do that. But, but the raw file really contains more information and on both ends of the scale and certainly is a better vehicle to use in order to achieve the, uh, a, a better result. Having, having seen some of your prints in person, uh, I have a great appreciation for the technical skill involved in being able to get that kind of luck from, from print. It's not an easy thing to do. As easy as so many of these manufacturers promote their equipment, whether it's a camera or a printer or software it is to use, there is uh, a thoughtfulness that, that has to accompany um, each photographer's process in order to achieve a really exceptional um, but that, but that being said, I think I, I take a look at your images as well, and there is such a you have such a wonderful eye. You have a, a real. I, I feel something when I take a look at your photographs. I'm not just appreciating appreciating them um, on a, on the technical level. Um, do you find that having all this technical knowledge and being able to create really consistent results? makes it easier for you to explore what you're trying to do on a more creative, emotional level with your photographs? A absolutely. I take, I take 10 times more photos now on digital than if, if not more than I did on film. I am able to, to photograph uh, scenes that I never would have done with my eight by 10 view camera because of the flexibility and the ease of using the digital uh, the digital camera. I really have in the past six to seven years tried to completely expand my uh, picture taking creativity to include uh, all sorts of subject material and scenes that uh, that I never would have done on film before because of the 
because of the expense of film, because of the labor in 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 doing the uh, film. Uh, processing, printing, proofing is an extremely long and complicated process uh, for doing 8x10 film um, compared to uh, the way I can do it now with digital. I love the instant feedback that I get with the uh, digital camera, being able to see the image on the back of the camera or being able, more importantly to me, to take it home and look at those images instantly, you know, after I'm done photographing in the evening and seeing what I did that day and how I could have made changes or how I could have made improvements to them. Uh, and being able to go back out tomorrow and, and recapture some images if I feel that I want to try something different. So I think that now that I have spent many years now learning and um, this the digital black and white process, I am able to use it, I believe, successfully in order to uh, to take the Im- to take more and better images and be able to further um, look at the world and the landscape in, in different and more creative ways and and I enjoy the process a lot more than I did before. Do you find that you're taking more risk than you might have before when you were sort of limited with you know an eight by ten camera? You only have so many sheets of film that you can expose. Absolutely, you know I I take. I take almost anything that goes in front of my eyes if I see it and think, I should just take that. And I just do. You know, you never pass that way again. You never see those scenes again. And and it, it's not uncommon for me to come home, you know, after several hours with four or five hundred images that I've taken and uh, and just look at those and be able to explore different ways of looking at at. Uh, uh, at the landscape and it's just um, it's the you know that risk just isn't there anymore when I did when I did eight by ten sheet film you know if I was going away for a week I had I had a dozen eight by ten sheet film holders so I had 24 sheets of film you had to plan and think very carefully how you wanted to utilize each sheet of that film when you did uh, large format uh, images of the landscape were those images um, better than the images that I currently take? Not necessarily. They were just more selective. Rather than coming home with, you know, hundreds, I came home with 24. Many times some of those images were duplicates, one horizontal, one vertical, or two of the same scene just because I really liked it and wanted to, and wanted to capture it. So today I feel like I can take just so many more images and... Um, and be able to look at everything much more creatively that it's really, it's uh, just completely changed how I do work and how, um, and the results that I produce. I, I think they are much better than I ever did in film. While you're, you can still shoot raw with your camera, you do have the benefit of turning on the picture style on your camera. So you can actually see a, a black and white playback uh, of your image in black and white. Is that a feature that you use or do you still look at it in terms of a uh, uh, color image as it's played back and you really start thinking in terms of black and white once you've downloaded the images to your computer? I do not look at the image on the back of my camera in uh, in black and white, but I look at every scene that I see in black and white. You know, having that background and knowledge and and 
in film of knowing what and how scenes look in color and how they will look in black and white and now in digital of how scenes look digitally in color and how I can reproduce them in black and white. I have a fairly good pre-visualization in my mind of what it takes in order to make a more striking looking black and white image. Um, I, you know, the only times that it ever becomes a, a problem for me is that sometimes I'm out photographing and I'll be looking at scenes and I'll see such, and I'll see something with beautiful color. And I like color photography and I like the way it looks. And certainly I never hesitate from taking those images that I see beautiful, you know, trees or flowers or whatever. Once again, I'm only there at that moment and want to capture those images. So if I see something great in color, I take those images. But when I then think, oh, well, am I going to be able to make some black and whites with this? Very seldom do those pictures come out to be very good black and whites. I know the images and scenes that I see and those that are going to be successful in black and white. You know, they have they have line, they have shape, they have uh, tonal ranges, they have a contrast, they have something that will make an image strikingly interesting in order to produce it in black and white. Very seldom is color one of those elements. Uh, in your book, you kind of walk us through the process of uh, your post-processing in terms of what applications you use. You use some HDR software uh, in order to control tonal range. They're using Nick uh, Silver Effects 2 in order to create the, um, the quality in terms of the black and white conversion. Can you walk us through what, what that's like? You know, you pull the raw file in there. Um, I know this is all audio, but as best you can, can you describe what your process is in terms of from the moment you download the image to the point that you actually um, finish with it and before you print? Sure. You know, um, to take that just one step backwards, though, is that almost all the scenes that I photograph, I photograph in multiple raw exposures, either three or five or seven multiple exposures, five being the most common. Um, I do auto bracketing on my camera, so I have two stops over and two stops below. Whether I use those images or not uh, is is really not an issue, but I've captured them in case I do want to use them. This also makes and so I never have an exposure issue. One of those one of those images is going to give me the best exposure. When I get back and I look at my images, most uh, on the computer, most often I I'm looking I'm looking at the whole sequence of them, but I'll look for I'll I'll look at my normal image and I'll look and see. Is this image striking? Does it does it does it say something to me? Do I feel like it's one of the better ones of this group? If I go out and shoot a hundred images today, you know, and I feel good if I can get one or two that I would make a that I would make a print of. Um, and so I take and I look at these images. I then determine whether I'm going to do HDR processing on this, whether, whether the raw file of the normal image, does it contain highlights and shadows that are adequate, or do the over and under exposures have, have greater detail and texture in those highlight areas or those shadow areas that I would want to include in this image? If they do, then I generally make it into an HDR process. If if it's a 
um, if it's a low contrast scene without significant lights and without dark shadows, many times I just use the one image in order to make those prints. Certainly snow in the forest is, a, is an example of that. If you've ever seen the light shining on snow in a forest um, the and see dark shadows of trees in the, in the background or near there, both of those are important tonal ranges that I would want to include in a scene. And even though that one raw file may contain the detail in that in that snow, if I were to include one or two snaps um, more or less exposure or more exposure for shadows and trees in there, I'm able to have a lot more texture in that snow and have it look much more uh, attractive in my finished print than if I was just doing the one raw image where that snow may just come out to be a light tone of gray rather than a textured uh, textured scene. So I then take those uh, that HDR image and or that single image. Um, many times I look at those at that black and white first in uh, in uh, Photoshop, and I just uh, click on the on the convert to grayscale and look to see how it came out there. Um, but I do use Nick Silver Effects too uh, for the majority of my work. It has, uh, I think, a um, a better conversion for black and white. It gives you a lot more variety and flexibility and control over and how you make those black and white images. And I feel it's a, it's an excellent program in order to to make those conversions. Uh, after I after I've done that in Nick, I then bring that image back into Photoshop. I usually. Um, I look to see how are those tonal ranges looking there. Are there areas that I want to uh, dodge and burn? I do extensive dodging and burning on, on my digital images in order to accentuate areas that I feel are more important uh, to bring detail in, into shadow areas by lightening them up. Uh, by burning edges and corners um, or surrounding areas if I have something more prominent as a subject material in my photo. And that's, and, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the whole thing about dodging and burning because that is essential to making a good traditional print. And it's, and it's something that in the digital world that I don't see talked about often enough. Well, uh, I, you know, I did that for forever making black and white prints in the darkroom. The variations in prints and black and white prints in the darkroom were primarily because of di different amounts of dodging and burning that were done on those prints in order to burn down corners or lighten or darken areas of the prints. Uh, I use that. I do that in exactly the same way that I did in the darkroom on my digital prints in order to to visualize and look at that image on my screen and say, okay, what, what, what can I do in order to make this uh, picture more how I saw it or more how I want to show it to someone else? What would enhance it? What would, what would make it a better, more dramatic or uh, photo? And so I use dodging and burning ex extensively as I feel it's necessary. Uh, you know, I've, I've said before to people as I, as I about my photo process is that if I was if I was a painter 
You know, what limitations would I have in how I would paint a scene? Would I feel like, oh, I can't do that or, you know, have some sort of uh, other limitations on it? You know, I don't. And so I alter and adjust my scenes as I feel necessary in order that uh, to enhance them, to make them look as attractive and interesting as possible to me and to hopefully the viewer that I show them to. One of the things about printing traditionally is, as you, as you just noted, you could create different versions of a print because of the different choices that you made in terms of, say, dodging and burning or, you know, or different uh, things that you did in terms of the ratio of the chemistry or you know, all, all that stuff. And then you can have all these several prints to look at and see, okay, which one works works for me. Do you, do you have anything analogous to that in the digital world? Or are you basically looking at your screen and you just see exactly what you have and you don't have to go through that sort of variation that you might have making a traditional um, silver-based print? Uh, well, there is a similarity in the fact that even, I do see it on the screen, but almost every finish, every finish print that I make or screen that I create images on, I almost always immediately print those out into 8x10 proof prints. And I then look at those proof prints uh, that come out of my printer exactly the same way that I looked at those prints that came out in my fixer. And I say, you know, does this print look good? Is there something I should do or could do in order to further improve it or enhance it and go right back into the computer and look at that image and say, well, I should do a little more burning here or this is too dark or I need to change this contrast level a little bit. And so... This, it's very, very similar to how I made prints in the darkroom in that respect. And, um, you know, I, I, it's just a, it's a fascinating thing in order to be able to, uh, to make these prints in the light and to see them come out of the printer and feel the exact same kind of excitement and thrill that I did when you turned on the lights in the darkroom and you looked at that picture in the fixer. It's, uh, it's just an amazing thing interesting comparison that's actually really quite enjoyable. You know, one of the interesting things about writing a book, I mean, your book here, Digital Black and White Landscape Photography, Fine Art Techniques from Camera to Print. At any time uh, I've written a book, it provides me uh, an opportunity to turn a mirror on myself, on my process, on my work. And almost inevitably, I discover things as a result of having to explain myself and explain how I do things that I kind of surprise myself with. And I was wondering if you had a similar experience going through your work and putting together this book that, that created a similar experience for you. It, it really was a, uh, a creative experience in the fact that, you know, how to put the book together and how to be able to show samples of the work that I do and explain the process that I use to make them. I found that, first of all, I had very similar process in a lot of different images. It was just how I made this digital, uh, how I made those digital prints, whether I used Photoshop or Nick or in, uh, Topaz for the black and white conversions, how I took those initial images. But I have now used that experience in order to further refine my process and, and continue to explore other and different techniques uh, that I had not used in the past because I want to continue to make improvements to the process and, and so that I can continue to make the best black and white prints out there. What's, when you make, uh, one of the things that uh, 
that you're quite good at is getting your work out there. I mean, your your prints have won countless awards. Um, and t- t- talk about the importance for you in terms of what you do as an artist in getting the work out there. Because a lot of people make prints. Um, they may occasionally, you know, try to get an exhibit. But you are pretty... Um, uh, what's what's the word? Pro- prolific. Prolific <laughs> in terms of getting getting your work out there, and it, obviously it plays an important role in who in who you are as a photographer. So, why why is that? Uh, you know, I um, when I was doing black and white, um, and and as I said, I've been doing this for for quite a long time. In 1997. With the when the internet and the web came about, I created my first uh, website with GaryWagner.com, and and it was at that point that I saw the tremendous potential of being able to show my work to more people in a way that I had never done in the past. Uh, in the past, you know, the amount of people that that you showed work to were those that uh, came to your home, that came to places that would see it, to a few local, uh, uh, local shows. But I found that, uh, that, there was, uh, that it was really exciting in order to show my work to, uh, to more people and to receive their mm, comments and criticism, you know, relating to it. So since I have at that time, when I first started my website, I was I was scanning uh, my eight by ten negs and prints and making putting images online. At that time, uh, today, so many people and I was one of the few people at that time that was had images online. Today, it's very very popular for almost all photographers, almost a necessity for all photographers in order to show their work online. In addition to this, I felt like when I was doing when I was doing film, it was the work that I was doing um, is certainly centered around the quality and technical aspects of the images that I was making. Today, now that I've been doing these digital images, even though my book was about the technical aspects of how I make pictures, I'm really much more interested in the artistic values of the images and being able to show those scenes of the landscape to other people so that they can see what my landscape and the areas that I travel look like, just as I enjoy looking at pictures of landscape throughout the world. You know, I want to share my images of the local landscapes that I photograph or places that I travel to other people as well. I think that it, it gives me enjoyment. I think it's of interest to people that they that they see different parts of the uh, world. Um, being able to make prints, show them locally to people, or to put them on the web and show them to people globally, I think is an important part of of, of the photography process, and one that I feel that I have a responsibility and a desire to to share these images with uh, with whoever is interested in seeing them. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Uh, Michael Kenna is, I think, one of the oh, yeah. 
uh, uh, just a fabulous photographer. I have admired his work for many years. I think the images that he takes of throughout the world um, are are just absolutely gorgeous. He does beautiful work in black and white. He's very current. He's uh, very uh, uh, certainly very well known throughout the world today for the images that he produces, for the books that he makes. Uh, I have his calendar here on the wall in front of me here. You know, I just completely admire the work that he does and and that he produces and feel like it's just exceptional. And where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Um, my work is... Uh, primarily available on my website, which is GaryWagner.com. And uh, I am in local shows uh, throughout throughout Northern California here, uh, as well as at Viewpoint Gallery in Sacramento, which is a photographic gallery, uh, which I am active in, have been active in for many years. Oh, Gary. Well, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure talking with you this morning. Thank you for, for joining me. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the Candid Frame app available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of TWIP, a network of photo-related podcasts. You can find more great shows on your favorite topic by visiting thisweekinphoto.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.